Welcome to a very special episode of 10 Minute Tech Calm. It's that time of year when many people's thoughts turn to festivities with family and friends, and nothing is more festive than Tech Calm. So this holiday season, we've got a special variety show for you, full of great guests, talking about how TechCom relates to the holiday season. Later in the show, we'll hear from Dr. Keith Bodner, who does research in how charities can improve donations. And we'll hear some special TechCom resolutions just in time for 2016. But first, let's talk toys. My first guest is Edward Smithahoma, a technical communicator in Galway City, Ireland. Edward runs the Twitter account at UselessAssist, which collects tweets of users chronicling their frustrations with poor and inadequate instructions. And at no time is this clearer than the holiday season. Every parent knows the frustration of frantically trying to put together a toy as a last-minute gift for a child and having inadequate instructions or no instructions at all. And Edward has chronicled many of these parents' frustrations on Twitter, and they're very informative for technical communicators who want to make users' experience with any product, let alone toys, better. Welcome to the podcast, Edward. Thanks so much for talking with us today about your useless assist project and how it relates to holiday frustration with instructions for toys and other things that parents are putting together on Christmas Eve. So can you start, give us a little background on this useless assistance project in general and what you've been up to? Yes. So we started about three years ago, just by chance. I was looking for an article. I saw an article tweeted once and I was thinking, oh, I have to find this article. And I started looking for it on Twitter. started seeing all these tweets about instructions from just regular people making complaints about instructions. Mm-hmm. And from that, that's where the idea came that, oh, look at this. There's all this chatter. And I don't think anybody's seeing this. You know, you know how Twitter is. It's right. Really, Big and a lot of noise in there, and it's, they're not. You know, it's very hard to find sometimes uh, information in there. Something else that I noticed too that kind of got me going was that my old office where we were working. We recently moved into the city, but the old office where we were at we were above a toy company actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was kind of interesting that the number one thing that they do at that office is they do pictures for the catalog mm-hmm. and yeah sometimes when i go to the bike shed to grab my bike and you can see the flash bulbs going and kids coming in and out i think the kids get uh, 50 euros for appearing in the catalog and every mm-hmm. kid in, in the city wants to be in this catalog it's a big thing for the kids <laughs> here and it's a huge company it's all across the uk and all the pictures are taken here in galway and the larger objects like uh, goal posts and basketball nets and trampolines are all assembled outside so Sitting at my desk, I could look out the window and see people putting stuff together and getting frustrated. You know, I can't can't hear what they're saying, but I can see them throwing the papers around and stuff like that. So that also mm-hmm. gave me the idea: Hey, got to do something with this. You know, got to word out. You know, everyone everyone experiences this, but but trying to get promoted more amongst ourselves, amongst manufacturers, ourselves saying technical communicators, getting it out there that hey, people are are upset about this stuff that is not being done well. Right. Well, and that's funny because that's, you know, the people who are putting it together to show it in the catalog and they're irritated with it. So you can only imagine sort of parent frustration who are not responsible for putting together toys as part of their job. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, getting the word out to manufacturers and to technical communicators to to help them give them some ammunition with their with their bosses that, hey, look, this is how important technical communication is, because it's kind of hard for technical communicators to to get the point across that there is a benefit to having good instructions with a product. So 
hoping that some of the stuff I do does get that word out to people. Mm-hmm. It's nice. It puts a face with the frustration. People are very uncensored in their tweets about their frustration as well. When you look through the useless assist account, you can see that they're responding in ways that maybe they wouldn't respond if the company were talking to them directly. And actually, with the negative tweets too, because I kind of feel bad sometimes. I'm only tweeting about the bad side of technical communications, but the fact is that you know you don't get too many people saying, "Wow, I do see these <laughs> kind of tweets where people say, "Hey, these are great instructions." And show an example but the fact is that people you know are more obliged to tweet about it if they're frustrated and sure. you get much more better answers to they're much more detailed mm-hmm. and they're obliged to show you know what the problem is exactly and yeah so i think they're much more valuable to us as writers to look at the frustrating side mm-hmm. and uh, learn from that great and so you you do this all year round but you have in the past few years taken a special interest in uh, sort of christmas eve tweets about instructions can you talk a little bit about that Right, right. Well, obviously, the biggest time of the year when most toys are bought and most gifts are given, obviously, are at Christmas time. So, yeah, that's when I see a big spike in uh, in the tweets. And for me, it's kind of become a family tradition. Is to, <laughs> you know, after right after Christmas, we have I don't know if you have Boxing Day in the U.S. We have St. Stephen's Day here in Ireland, okay. and so it's the day after Christmas mm-hmm. Day. We usually go to some friends or family, and we I come home on St. Stephen's Day, and that's when I the wife knows to leave me alone that <laughs> evening, and I sit down and I have a look at what's going on because that's I guess traditionally people get the presents on the 25th and they start building it, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. building presents, putting them together on 25th and the 26th, and yeah, that's when I see a huge spike in tweets, and that's yeah when I know it's the most. That's why I provide the most retweets. Right. Well, and I, I like this example because, you know, I think most parents have had the experience of staying up late on Christmas Eve. You know, you bought the bike, the goalpost, the dollhouse, whatever it is, and you've got to put it together so that it looks like it's all ready to go when the kids get up on Christmas morning. And it's a good example of kind of the, the real world context in which the instructions are being read is, you know, not in ideal circumstances, but at two in the morning or, you know, when kids are, are screaming the next day or wanting to play with their toys. Can you share some sort of particular memorable or hilarious uh, angry tweets from parents that you've seen about toy instructions? Uh, yes, actually, I was going to ask you before if I should read them the way they are. Are you going to beep out whatever oh. as you mentioned? There is quite a bit of heavy language. In sure, I'll, um, I can I can uh, censor. That's that's a good good point. Um, we don't, yeah, we don't yeah, usually have to deal with this on the TechCom show, but uh, really, that's strange. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so just yeah, just a few examples. I went went back back to December last year to have a look. It took me a while to scroll back to get to these, but. Yeah, so, for example, spent a day assembling my niece's new jungle gym. The instructions were groundbreaking for a groundbreaking collaboration between Babblefish and M.C. Escher. M.C. Escher, <laughs> obviously, I think you know, <laughs> does strange, uh, surreal uh, right, pictures. Right, surrealist drawings, sense. yeah. Exactly. So, another one, I'm sorry, but if you're going to pay 300 for a pair of headphones, they need to come with better instructions that explain. <laughs> Shout out to Santa's Zells for using the tiniest found on all these toy <laughs> instructions. Uh, I just put Jesus Christ back in Christmas. If you count the 37 times, I cursed at the assembly instructions for this toy <laughs> house. Dear Step 2, Step 2 is a toy manufacturer. Dear Step 2 instructions writers, thanks to you, my son's first words will surely be an improbably compounded obscenity. <laughs> Dear Santa, thanks for everything in advance, but this year, please, please, please don't forget instructions. Actually, it's very strange the types of problems people run into because the amount of people that they open up a gift and they don't have the instructions, which just seems incredible for me that there's right. no quality control at the factory. They open up the box and it's just not there. 
And yeah, strangely, that's one of the big ones that people forget that. And they actually have trouble Googling it even to find the mm-hmm. instructions. It's amazing mm-hmm. how many companies, these manufacturers today, don't have their instructions online for customers to download. Also with QR codes, I've noticed a huge trend towards QR codes, but the amount of people that have problems using them and how many of them are poorly implemented as well, where somebody scans it and they're expecting to see the instructions pop up. They're taken just to a product page, you know, mm-hmm. just advertising the product. That, that comes up very often as well. Obviously, the foreign uh, language as well. You can tell the product's been made in China, for example, and the, the grammar and everything's just incredibly way off. So unreviewed and unedited uh, instructions are a huge, huge pain as well that people get frustrated with. On the other side, just pictures, for example. So the instructions only have things, pictures and no words, again, causing frustration because people can't identify the the parts or mm-hmm. really don't understand what the actions are that are being shown with the with the arrows mm-hmm. and pictures. Yeah, a lot of ambiguity in the, the images. You know, Ikea is famous for sort of the, the all pictorial instructions. And I know some people love that and some people hate it. But um, you, you really got to make sure that you can understand everything that the pictures are depicting. So That's right. And there's such a reliance, too, on paper. I'm kind of surprised. So, you know, it's 2015. Like I said, I'm not a fan of the QR codes from what I'm reading, but you know, mm-hmm. people just can't go use their tablet or their phone and have a look at a like an online version of the instructions, kind of help them, you know, make them videos or something like that and help them that way because yeah people open up the package and the, the instructions are ripped or they're you know not printed properly that obviously causes a lot of frustration as well mm-hmm. fun to look at these things it's also i think a good reminder for technical communicators i think some of those are scary because they're sort of it's out of the technical communicators control whether the instructions get shipped with the product or not but what kinds of things can technical communicators do to make uh, next Christmas better for parents who are putting toys together? Well, actually, I want to say also I don't think it's always technical communicators who are at fault here. Sure, yeah, sure. You know, obviously I'm also kind of worried, well, I'm doing this stuff and are people getting fired because I'm, you know, retweeting this? And sure. I believe my audience is that huge that I have that much influence that I'm getting people fired. But I really believe that in a lot of these cases, it's not an actual technical communicator doing the work. So it's like a graphic designer who's just been hired to you know, draw the pictures and but there's no real like a somebody who has technical writing background doing the instructions in a lot of these cases because yeah, I wouldn't personally put out instructions like that and I know a lot right. of my friends as well would right. know grammar and they picked how to how to present the steps in a proper manner. So mm-hmm. that that's a good point is you know this project also shows the importance of hiring technical communicators, not only good technical communication but just having people who are trained in in the work and trained in helping users with these products. Absolutely, absolutely. But as far as suggestions go, illustrations, I noticed that the illustrations can be very detailed sometimes. You know, especially these ones, people claim, like real photos people seem to complain about, which kind of surprised me. I thought, you know, having a real photo. But, you know, it does help, you know, not having too detailed of the illustrations. Like I did an article about the Barbie Dreamhouse. That was a big one last year that everybody was complaining about. <laughs> it was a drawings. There were drawings, but they are just overly detailed, and people just found it very hard to hard to follow and you know mm-hmm. if you look at ikeas it is a little more like an, an outline of the it's not as detailed and it's easier to follow so that's something i'd suggest right from the beginning especially when you're assembling something like a bike telling people how to lay out the parts you know getting starting with that kind of step saying hey this would be the easiest way to lay out everything to help you assemble it i think that's missed in a lot of instructions and labeling the parts obviously mm-hmm. the numbers uh, numbers or letters, actually sticking actual stickers on the parts. I know it's a little more extra cost, obviously, but I think it comes back. You know, it pays to do that. You know, better reviews from customers. 
uh, drawing things to scale too. There's a lot of people who, you know, they look at something and, you know, the screw looks huge here, but uh-huh. this, in life it's not actually this big and they get confused again. Is this the proper screw or not? And making sure the illustrations are an adequate size too. And yeah, just the amount of, you know, they try to fit everything on a, you know, eight by 10 piece of paper and the illustration gets so tiny that people can't read them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, taking advantage of, you know, videos and other technologies. Like I mentioned, we have so much available to us now and it just don't feel people are experimenting with video and animations enough. Cause yeah, I think people, a lot of, how many people have cell phones now or computers or some portable device that can have beside them and doing the assembly with mm-hmm. it? I, I've heard complaints that, you know, Technically, paper is better because you can step on a tablet while you're doing it or drop something <laughs> on a tablet while you're assembling something heavy and break it. So that is something, I guess, against it. But, yeah, I'd recommend people do that. Spacing out the steps because I've seen so many where, you know, there's actually three or five steps within one step. Space it out as much as possible so people can understand what's going on. Using a lot of white space as well, I've noticed that, you know, if you congest it too much, the drawings and the text too much, it can get very confusing for the person. Overwhelming too, they open it up and it's a huge, huge paper and that really, you know, frustrates them as Mm -hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, that's all good advice. And you know, thanks so much for talking with us today and for the project. You know, keep up the good work. Where can we find uh, the Useless Assist online? Yep. So it's Twitter.com and Useless Assist is the okay. account. All right. Have a great Christmas. Have a great St. Stephen's Day and uh, enjoy your holidays. Thanks for talking with us, Edward. Thanks so much, Ryan. Take care. <laughs> To continue our show, we'll talk about giving. The holidays are a season of giving, but charities often struggle to get the donations of time and money that they're looking for. Dr. Keith Botner co-authored a recent article in the Journal of Marketing Research entitled, What's in a Message? The Longitudinal Influence of a Supportive versus Combative Orientation on the Performance of Nonprofits. Dr. Botner, who works at Lehigh University, joins us now to talk about how charities can improve their donations by changing the way that they frame their message. Welcome to the podcast, Keith. We really appreciate you coming on to talk about your work. And the paper that we're talking about today, it tests whether nonprofits get more donations if they have a supportive or a combative orientation. How are these two approaches different to fundraising? Yeah, hey, Ryan. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. And just by way of background, you alluded to this. In this research, we specifically examine how what we coined as message orientation can affect one's long-term donations to a charity. And, mm-hmm. and by message orientation, we're basically referring to how a charity chooses to communicate its uh, strategic aims, we'll call it. And, okay. and in this, we specifically focus on two types, two different message orientations, supportive and combative. And, and briefly, Supportive, as the name might connote, can be thought of as any name or accompanying message for that matter from the charity that would promote the cause. And I'll give an example of that in a moment. Whereas combative would be associated with fighting a problem or fighting an issue. Let's think of a charity um, in the environmental domain. And that charity could choose to frame themselves very supportively as, uh, let's say, citizens for urban renewal. So you notice by the name there, it's more collaborative, it's more partnership oriented, it's more focused on enabling a positive outcome. Now, that same charity could opt for more of a combative orientation, and that that example would be citizens fighting urban decay. And and if you think about that, it's much more fight-oriented. It's much more about preventing a negative outcome. So that kind of gives you the gist of how these two differ. Okay, okay, great. So one is 
we're promoting a cause, we're making things better. The other is we're fighting some problem that we're trying to get rid of. Exactly, and keeping in mind with all else seeking. What kinds of things did you do to see which one is more effective? In testing it, think of it as a three-pronged approach. First of which, and again, these, these merge real-world data, field experimentation, lab experimentation. But the first study, the first one was based on 10 years of publicly available IRS data. Okay. Uh, actual charitable organizations. So all the 501c3 organizations that are filing their tax returns. And so not evading taxes, mm -hmm. um, about 400,000 charities in total wow. were analyzed. And of those, a good 30,000 or so we were able to tease out that had names that were either supportive or combative. Now, bear in mind that the lion's share of that 400,000, they're going to be neutral. But in any case, after looking at that and comparing the combative versus supportive orientations, this real-world data showed that a supportive charity is 18% more likely to survive over the 10 wow. years of the IRS data. Mm -hmm. And um, furthermore, and you would expect this to be consistent with the survival rate, it showed that a supportive charity generates approximately 4% more in annual revenue over the 10 years, and again, annual, uh, versus a comparable charity that uses a combative wow. orientation. And so that was the first study. The second one, showed this was through field experimentation. So this is a partnership with an actual charity in the outdoor and recreation space. It's okay. um, a, a mountain bike association. And so in that instance, consumers are asked to pledge their time. So the reason I gave you that domain, the specific example of the partner for that study was that in that instance, they, they operate by getting donations of time so that people can work to build trail systems, or people can donate their skills to the actual cause. And what it showed is that Pledges of one's time were about a half hour greater per period when the mission of that organization was set forth in a supportive versus a combative tone. And, and one thing I wanted to note is the name of the charity in that instance was simply uh, an acronym. It was initials, so it was a way to, so we, we said, okay, we've got a charity that's fairly neutral in name, but when they frame their mission and vision, as a combative or supportive orientation, we see significant differences in the pledges of one's time. And again, um, we're seeing about three hours period of donations when it's supportive, and that number goes down to about two and a half hours a period when it's combative. And then a third study to really just kind of tie all this together was more of a controlled lab setting. And what we found there was that, consistent with the previous studies, is that a supportive orientation resulted in participants donating an amount, um, a dollar, dollar amount that they earned by taking part in the study. Okay, so um, they got money for participating and then they can donate some of that money. That's correct. Right. Panelists took part in, it in a weekly survey that went for five weeks. And over those five weeks, they were um, given a task and that task earned them money, about $5, let's mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that particular survey, they were given the opportunity to donate any amount of that of that $5 to a charity that was randomly presented to that participant as being combative or supportive. And what it showed was, in the supportive condition, participants gave approximately 16% of that $5, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, when that same series of studies was presented to the participants and it was done so in a combative orientation, as opposed to giving 16%, they only gave 3% of their actual compensation for the study. So, you know, significant differential. And again, while that was much more of a controlled setting and while they're dealing with a much smaller endowment of $5, again, thinking about the extrapolation, very significant implications. So importantly, and just to sum up all three of those, this was through an examination of real world data as well as the controlled lab study, 
Also that it applies not only to donations of money, but one's time. So again, I kind of alluded to this earlier in terms of implication, but any charity, any charity seeking to maximize long-term consumer response would be best suited to examine how their message was being received by the donor. Well, this is fascinating. I love the sort of three prongs to study this. Do you have any sense of why the supportive orientation sort of prompts more support from participants and volunteers? So going to your question as to why one might prefer to donate to a charity with a supportive versus combative messaging, there are a number of possible factors that, that could contribute to this. But, but this research suggests that supportive and combative orientations trigger distinct mindsets that affect long-term behavior. So for example, a charity is much more likely to activate motivations focused on promotion and advancement of the cause when it is done so with a supportive framing. Mm -hmm. And those motivations, research has shown, tend to be more global and long-term. So they're, they're more global, they're more top-down in terms of, of one's view of it. And a combative charity, on the other hand, would be more likely to result in motivations that are more prevention-based. And that mindset tends to be more focused on the immediate threat. So therefore, it's processed more granularly. It's looked at in more of a bottom-up fashion. And from this, we conclude that supportive orientation, again, due to this global top-down focus on advancing the cause, results in greater goal commitment for the donor, thus leading to greater long-term donations to support charities. So it, the supportive orientation gets people thinking long-term. And it's so that's, that's what leads to this sort of greater survival rate, greater commitment is I, I'm with you for the long haul when you're promoting something. That's correct. When you think of a, a prevention orientation, it potentially runs the risk of burning white hot. You know, mm -hmm. the start, it can, it can gain my attention right up front, which again, existing research shows. But what this data, what this research does suggest is that over time, the positive orientation or the, the supportive orientation does result in greater goal commitment due to the longer term focus and the more global mindset. So I'm seeing the bigger picture, Ryan, I guess would be a good way to connect this and when, I, when I'm dealing with a supportive versus combative orientation. Great. Well, this is fascinating and it's helpful. Thanks for sharing your research with us, Keith, and uh, have a happy holiday. Oh, no, happy Before we go today, I've invited a few technical communicators to share their 2016 technical communication New Year's resolutions with us. Please enjoy, and I hope you find them inspiring. Hey guys, this is Greta Bowler, aka The Lone Technical Writer. This New Year's, my technical writing resolution is to volunteer my services more to companies and causes I believe in. Outreach as a technical writer is a great way to gain experience while supporting others. I hope you consider it too. Hi, my name is Bart Leahy and I'm a freelance technical writer in Orlando, Florida. My New Year's resolution is to think strategically about what my next sources of income will be. For me, strategic planning is the focus to what I'm doing and why. Happy 2016! My New Year's resolution is to spend more time doing creative work with the tools that I teach in the professional writing classroom, like Photoshop and InDesign. That and dedicate my life to listening to the 10-Minute TechCom podcast. Lars Soderlund, Western Oregon University. 
That's our holiday special for this year. So whatever holidays you celebrate, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Solstice, Diwali, Boxing Day, St. Stephen's Day, Festivus, or anything else, enjoy your time with family and friends and your time as a technical communicator. We'll see you back here in 2016 for more great interviews with tech comm experts. Happy holidays, everyone.